Welcome to the CDC Podcast Minisode 5. These minisodes are a chance for myself and a new co-host each time to highlight some games that have gotten virtually no criticism written about them, and we would like to correct that. These can be anything from itch.io art games to prestige level indie games, all the way to AAA games that might have slipped between the cracks, though generally they are going to skew a little smaller just because. Joining me this month is senior curator of our fine platform here at Critical Distance, Chris Ligman. Uh, hi, you finally caught me and pinned me down. Should have tried earlier. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think the last podcast I did was actually with you in December of last year, so I just don't do these things very much, I guess. And it's very easy listening, though. Oh, well, We should, we should fix that. Yeah, 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 that's one thing at a time. Well, let's get into it. Your first game, please. All right. So the first one that I have for you today is the Niflheim, which is a dating sim for iOS and Android. Uh, It's produced through the Shall We Date series, which runs a lot of free-to-play dating games on mobile. And it distinguishes itself, even among other games in the Shall We Date catalog, by having better-than-average localization, which is a rarer thing in the genre than you might expect. There's quite a lot of machine translation and very poor amateur localization going on. But this one is, on the whole, very solid. And on top of that, the premise is something that I've raved about on several occasions. I mean, how many games do you know of where you go and get to date a zombie, a ghost, and Frankenstein's monster right off the bat? And the company hinted that it's going to unlock a romance route with a talking skeleton next. You've been begging for that for a while, haven't you? Yes, I have. Pretty much since the beginning, since I first read about it. Every single person that I've shown the game to, usually like through some, you know, whatever PR flyer or like the video is just like, can I fuck the skeleton? That's usually like the first question that they ask. And it seems that that's going to be a yes. His name is Skeletiano. And he recently tied for first in a Shall We Date character poll at Anime Expo, and the other was a talking cat. So, yeah, the fans of these games are, you know, interested in the unconventional, which I guess is sort of the norm, funnily enough, in dating sims nowadays. I think we have Tattoful Boyfriend to thank for that. That's the pigeon one. Yeah. Where you date large pigeons. Right. So, I mean, this one is, if anything, a little more conventional than that. One thing I wish I could talk about more with regards to this game is that of the four routes that I've played thus far, one has you helping a character cope with his depression and low self-esteem, and another revolves around a character I would say is at least heavily implied to be autistic. So, even though it's definitely not perfect in how it deals with disability or anything else, I still think that it's pretty ambitious while still sort of being a very authentic otome game. Hmm. You sound so thrilled. I don't know very much about the genre in general. Well, then I should (laughs) encourage you to include in your show notes this primer that Amanda Cosmos wrote about otome games for Offworld. So uh, you and anyone else who's curious to learn more about this game or other otome games should definitely check that out. My exposure mainly has been like, I guess what are like the deconstructions that have reached more mainstream consciousness here in the West. Right. So Christine Loves Games are a prime example of that. And I do wish And Had a Full Boyfriend. The the one you mentioned earlier, yes. Mm -hmm. And that project that was crowdsourced project. Um, What was it called? About the ones with disabilities. 
Oh, Katawa Shoujo. That's yeah, that, that's an that's pretty, interesting one as well. That's kind of the limit of my knowledge of this genre. Yeah, uh, let's not talk too much about Katawa Shoujo. I think it's interesting, but at the same time, I mean, you can't really go too far without acknowledging its roots as a gameplay premise that sort of fetishizes disability. It, it's more complicated than we have time here. Right. So, I mean, it's definitely one of the better-known examples of Western-produced anime-style dating games. But as far as anime-style dating games out of Japan that have been localized, I can't recommend very much higher than the Niflheim. And I have looked. All right. Well, my first game is this... It was a Kickstarter game, a rather small budget. It kept its scope within its reach. Called Unrest... It takes place in a fictionalized ancient India. Oh, you know, I think I'm a backer of that game. Yeah, so was I. So, spoil... Uh, not spoilers, what's the word? Disclosure? That's it! <laughs> Disclosure! Ethics and, and yada yada, but anyway. Yeah, and I played around with it, and it is really well done. It doesn't... It's not much to look at, which unfortunately is how a lot of people judge what they play or what they try out. Mm. And the thing is, it doesn't really sort of hit you why it's worth playing until a long time in because it, it just builds over time little pieces into a larger amazing structure because it's not just the writing it's not just the situations it's like the interconnectedness of everything because you play several different characters around this ancient Indian city-state you play an ambassador from a foreign empire a mercenary who becomes like the captain of the guard a princess who's been ousted from power, a peasant who, in the Disney tradition, just wants more, although because of the caste system, it's a little bit more complicated than that, and a priest who is trying to do right by the starving lower citizenry against a somewhat corrupt priest caste. And you always hear that video game, this game is about choice, and it's going to affect everything, and here it, it kind of does, not plot-wise, but through our like, understanding and the small interconnectednesses that alter changes and the situation for later on. Because like choices made by the peasant are going to affect things at the palace in very unexpected ways because A affects B, which changes C, which alters a decision with D, and eventually it, the butterfly effect, and it just hits it. You end up with a captain of the guard having to order his men to do some sort of thing while riots are in the streets. But the the main important thing here is is like the idea of fate, mm. and the characters, no matter how much agency they have, like the the powers of fate or the powers of like institutions are just greater than they are. And I guess like the whole idea of unrest is that the whole that it's trying to paint a picture of a single point in time. It's not a character study. It's not a plot driven narrative. It's just here are the several events that shaped this quasi-historical event, and this is how it came about, and try to glean some understanding through that. And it takes its time. It allows you to just figure this out just by existing in this world for however long you need to. And then, yes, events happen, people die, riots occur, civil war happens, coup, and then another coup, and so on and so forth. But it's really hard to explain complex things like this without like being able to like point to certain details that other people have experienced and show them the lines mm. and how this all works. And 
what was really fascinating is that when I double checked the Kickstarter, because I backed it based on the initial premise, is that most of the most interesting things this game has going for it were all stretch goals. Huh. The most interesting characters and the most int- and like the additional chapters were all stretch goals. So I have absolutely no idea what the original game was going to look like, but I'm glad they hit what they did. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't realized that it's been so long. Those Kickstarter updates, you know, you just sort of end up muting or, or like tuning them out. And I think even though there was quite a bit of press about this game when it first launched on Kickstarter, and that's obviously why and when I got excited mm-hmm. about it, I can only think of, I think, one article that I read I about it. that was mine. I think that was my In that concern. case, there I'm... are two. Because I know Uh-oh. there's yours, and then there's another one that was talking about it from uh, the perspective of racial representation and how uncommon it is to see characters that you know reflected the author in that way. So I'll have to... I'm pretty sure we featured it. So I'll, It is a multinational yeah. author. Like a multinational development team, not author team. Development team, and I do believe one of them is in India. Mm-hmm. Another is in Czechoslovakia, another is in... Which else. you would hope, you know, if a game is like set in in ancient India and is about ancient Indian caste systems and so forth, that you would have, you know, someone whose experience with that was a bit more than book learning. So it's yeah, good to know. I mentioned it, I think, in my review of it was, I know absolute jack about the Indian caste system, so I know I'm missing some subtleties here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, like that, that again is like a reason why I would like more people to talk about it and it's not like there's any absence of Indian players of video games but how many of them are writing how many of them are writing in languages that are accessible to someone at critical distance and these are just ongoing curatorial issues that I guess we don't really have the space for here all right your second game which has an awesome title right so I should bracket this by saying it's kind of funny that you should bring me in to do this mini like now because I'm like right in the midst of Indiecade jurying, which means that I'm actually playing quite a lot of games and I can talk about virtually none of them. So it took me a long time to kind of fill out this list of three games. And this one is one that I feel a little bit traitor is talking about, but it makes me so emotional just discussing. It's called Killing Time at Lightspeed. It was developed by Gritfish for 2014's Anthologem, which had the theme of Golden Age sci-fi. And broadly, you could call it a text adventure, or maybe a visual novel. The premise is that you're on a ship headed to another star system, and you have limited access to the Internet back on Earth. So basically, you can check Reddit, Facebook, and Twitter, or, you know, sort of XB versions thereof. But because of the time dilation, because you're traveling at near the speed of light, every time you refresh the page, whole years have gone by back on Earth. So in the end, you're catching these tiny fragments of what's happening in this world that you left behind. What's happening to your friends, what's happening in society, the advancement of civil rights. I don't cry at things, I cried at this. So a video game did make you cry. Video game did make me cry. I remember seeing uh, This Is A Thing posts a few, like a month or so ago about this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
that seems like a terrible affliction because Twitter is just a bash of Dadaism experience in real life. Right. So having decades smashed together. It is one of those things where you, I mean, when I first dropped into the game, my first thought was, how could this work? It, there, there's no way that it could work. But there's a certain impression that you get while navigating through it that not only did the writer here basically live and breathe Twitter, as so many of us do, they had seen the rise and fall of other social networks. And that is sort of like the true sadness and bittersweetness of the game, is that since years are going by in a flash for you, I mean, you see not only like these events with your friends that you can only barely reach out and touch, but the entire like social movement and you know the proliferation or consequences of technology and all that stuff, that's all just going so far out of your reach, and it seems to get you getting farther and farther away until even the sites that you're able to access are just, you know, deserted apart from bots and spam and clickbait. And if you've ever, like, been in a community like that, like, in its, you know, death throes, so to speak, you know the sort of hollowness and sadness of, you know, logging in and seeing that the only people that are there are for example, just bots that someone created or something like that. And it's, I don't know, I'm getting emotional again right now thinking about it. So I think this one has some deep cuts that the the Twitterati or whatever we want to call it will appreciate. I think in particular there's a very specific reference to one bot that many people in our social group are familiar with, and that's the And Now Imagine bot. So there's a version of that Twitter bot in this game as sort of an allusion to everything that's going on. Uh, there's also, I would say, a few references to a certain hashtag that shall not be named and the effects that has on social groups that I haven't seen done quite so deftly as this. So another game to throw on the pile of hard sci-fi video games coming to uh, us. Let's not... Let's, I mean, I, I am... <laughs> very pedantic about the term hard sci-fi. First of all, hard sci-fi is not a thing. Okay, sci-fi by definition is soft. It's it's sci-fi or it's hard science fiction or hard SF. This is you're you're traveling at lights the technology that would have to exist for you to be checking Twitter during that time is pretty outlandish. So okay, let's, sir, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I'm, <laughs> I'm calm. I've calmed down. It is a golden age sci-fi. That was the premise of the Anthologem, which was, I believe, curated by uh, Zoe Quinn and Alex Lifshitz, actually. And it's all available online for free, so we should link that as well. My second game is a game that got talked about a lot, and mostly in the fact of this is doing well or why isn't it doing well enough and that, or what it's doing now is Monument Valley. Mm iOS and Android uh, puzzle game, and yeah, the biggest talking point about it apparently was the price point, because it's so unusual for uh, a game like that, because it isn't free. With microtransactions, they decided to give you a price, and then they let you have a four-pay expansion, and everyone got angry about it. But the game itself is its like a descendant of Echo Chrome, where you have to change perspective where you like move the camera around and the change in perspective changes the imagined geometry behind certain behind columns so a figure can move forward 
like if you can't see the gap in the line, your brain will always assume that a path behind a column continues on if it seeks it comes out the other end. So despite there being a gap, you put a column in the way, and the game will allow the logic for the character just to cross, even though there's no way to do it. You can actually move the structure so down is now a different direction than it was before, and it does all these sort of Escher-like switching switching and mind-bending uh, architecture things that are really great. And there is a story in there. It's sort of... It's sketchy. It's a little abstract. And it's something I'm not sure I quite got. And I thought this was a pretty nice game, but I, and so many people seem to be over the moon for it, and yet I don't know why. <laughs> like, no one explains themselves. They just said, this is great, and then they moved on. Twitter is not a good medium for criticism. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't know if you saw, we did get a really nice article um, about it that was actually written uh, from an outsider perspective from a architecture magazine that was comparing the game to precedents in the art world. And you're right that there's a lot going on with it that I feel because it's sort of all done up in a nice, pretty package, we don't feel the need to really dig into quite as much, perhaps. And that's a shame, because I think really the one thing about it that is to its greatest credit, and I haven't heard anyone talk about this, is just how freaking accessible it is. I mean, it's basically a one-touch game, right? You don't have to worry about complex controls. So, you know, one of the big issues that was always the problem with something like Echo Chrome was that, you know, you have to, for instance... Dual analog sticks. Two analog sticks, and then you're also, like, working against the timer and moving targets and stuff like that. And this is, like, you can do this with one finger. And as someone who presently doesn't have the use of either of their thumbs, that's a big deal for me when it comes to playing games these days. Do I have to learn or manage an entire control scheme, or can I actually, like, go through this and play it and have an experience that's rich and fulfilling without needing all these complex abstractions. And then there's this like big wow moment near the, I think in the last level, where you descend and just keep descending further and further into this darkness, and then you eventually reach what I think is supposed to represent a cemetery. Yeah, a mass grave sort of thing. Yeah, and then I feel like, okay, this was about something, and I don't know what. <laughs> well, um... I feel like it actually wasn't that cryptic, but I don't think we actually have the time to go too far into you know, the, uh, the details of the writing. Free piece for anyone else. Yeah. Right, yes, absolutely. Free idea. All right. Your third and final game. Right. So the last one I have is sort of out of left field, but here I was thinking that we'd already done Monument Valley on this podcast, and so I couldn't do that one. So I had to go and find something else. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. But anyway... <laughs> The third one that I have for you is called Tour de Akiba, which is a Yomosh pedal fan game that was developed by Amanda Cosmos for her I Love You Jam. Actually, I think the ILU stands for something else, but anyway. So it features all original writing and artwork, and I think, if anything, it prompts us to think a little on the legitimacy of like doujin artifacts like this in the West, when in Japan they're a thriving market in their own right. A game like this is just like a fan game. It uses all the characters and whatever from a property like Yuamush Petal, but does so with, you know, completely original assets. Uh, American corporate interests have this 
thing where they sort of made the copyright into a sort of sacred institution. It's timeless and all-powerful. Whereas Japanese fans are accustomed to having these sort of social spaces where they can work and produce things like fan comics and fanfic and fan games like this, and even turn a small profit on them, and the rights owners pretty much just leave them alone. And I feel like that's a thing that, while we're sort of getting that now in the West with you know, things like this game by Amanda, a game that I'm working on, and, for example, all the proliferation of, like, fan games that have been produced for things like Slender and Five Nights at Freddy's, there's still sort of, like, this attitude of, like, oh, you don't own the rights to that, you can't touch that, even though it sort of falls within the purview of transformative works. It's adorable, and since Amanda is slowly converting anyone in games into a fan of Yuopeta, I, including yours truly, I highly recommend it as a series to get into. It's about bicycles. Oh, Yuopeta is the title of the series. Okay. Yeah, Yuopeta, which is, you know, the Yomosh pedal, which translates as, like, weakling pedal or something like that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, because it's just the, it's the maudlin bicycle anime that everyone you see is obsessed with. And the one that started that little game we were playing earlier says, can we find the anime that matches the most obscure sports we can think of? Oh, that's right. We were having that talk. And I found them. (laughs) There is a curling manga, in case you're curious. I can't wait for the big-scale anime adaptation of that. (laughs) The final of my games is a little timely, as it just came out this week as of recording, and it is Escape from the Man-Sized Cabinet by Stephen Colbert or rather Stephen Colbert's Ghostwriter. Oh, let's not say Ghostwriter. Come on, it's a staff writer. I know, a staff writer. Well, you said it was. I actually, I honestly think he has the time, and he's just bored. Well, I mean, that's the implication, sh- right? But, I mean, yeah. can we really expect that Stephen Colbert went and learned Twine? No but, he pro- no, but the thing is, he can write all the things and then tell the person to put them in. All right, all right, let's... We'll just That's how we'll, I do we'll it. do our investigation on this later. We'll <laughs> we'll present our investigative report on the true authorship of the Stephen Colbert game at some later point. But you were saying I've do, I haven't gone through the whole thing yet. I've just been clicking around, enjoying it. And yes, it is the classic Stephen Colbert sense of humor, Awaken the Centaur. 30-ounce cans available now. And it is just that wacky brand of humor and and if it wasn't for the fact that we've also featured a few other Twine games on previous episodes, I feel kind of bad just doing this very high-profile one by itself, I guess on Celebrity, to get get its attention. But I feel like it's still funny, which is hard in this day and age to make me laugh, and it's just enjoyable. It's polished. You know, it, it uh, has... <laughs> Uh, supplemental art that goes along with some of the pages so that you're kind of like reading through a choose-your-own-adventure book of the sorts, which is what Twine often bills itself as. And I, I just think that it's interesting. I mean, you say, like, let's not talk about Twine as being like solely like this this thing that like becomes interesting when a celebrity picks it up. But at the same time, I'm fascinated that Twine has now reached the point that, yes, someone, maybe Stephen Colbert himself, can pick up a tool like this and make a game with it. Yep. And I especially love the intro line. You are Stephen Colbert. Congratulations. Yes, I would. I I think that deserves a congratulations. In fact, if you were Stephen Colbert, Mm -hmm. things would be a lot better if you were. If we all were Stephen Colbert. Actually, I think that might be a bit too much for us to handle, including Stephen Colbert. 
Yes, but a lot of our problems would disappear individually. Uh, We've gained some new ones, but... I guess we would be uh, half-elves. <laughs> and we'd have a litany of ready-made uh, movie props sitting right behind us at all times. Will he continue to have those when he's doing the late... Anyway, well, now we're just talking I, about I, American TV. <laughs> yeah, and I guess that's kind of where it tends for us to go. It wants you to think in these terms. Mm-hmm. Because it is about him. As batshit as the thing gets, you end up a in Narnia, mm-hmm. or at least a non-copyrighted version of Narnia. <laughs> Crying out loud, it's it's as unreal as text allows, which is as unreal as the mind allows, which I'm actually rather grateful for. Again, grateful's not the right word, because any text can do this. I don't know, it's just fun. It's whimsical, I think, in a way that we don't usually expect out of polished entertainment, which I think is something that's sort of become Colbert's brand over the years that he was with Comedy Central, and it's nice to see that as continuing to be part of his persona now that he's doing this other thing that, you know, I mean, this was a guy who made waves for years, you know, because he was like the first geek late night show host. Someone who... And as much as I don't want to valorize the idea of geekdom in this day and age where it's used to justify so much horribleness. I mean, he was someone who was just so eagerly into so many of these things, including games, that uh, it makes sort of a perfect sense that he should have one of his own and sort of bring that sort of fanciful playfulness into a game like that as well. So where's your twine game, Chris? My twine game is actually going to be another Yoamush Petal fan game. It was started as part of Amanda Cosmos's ILU jam, but I haven't finished it yet because I got distracted during games for Indiecade. So Isn't this like the third twine game this has happened to? Yeah. <laughs> I have this thing. Well, look, it, this is probably the first one where it was actually waylaid. <laughs> by Indicate itself, but yeah, this is the third time I've attempted to write a Twine game. But I'm like, this one is small in scope, there's totally no reason I can't finish this, and I'm still determined to finish it. It's small, it's self-contained, it's literally just a Sundere simulator. I shouldn't be making fun of you, I, I couldn't even figure out how the program works. Twine 2.0 is, it takes away, like, even a lot of the strange programmatical nonsense that was in original Twine. So if you can, you know, make a PowerPoint, you can probably use Twine 2.0. Well, thank you anyway, Chris. Well, not thank you anyway. Thank you for showing up, period. Gosh. Yeah, I'm so (laughs) glad that I could fit you into my busy schedule here between, you know, sleeping and writing roundups and watching Evo. Chris is doing the sarcastic voice, but no, it actually did have to figure out a schedule for this. Yeah, no, it's it's kind of absurd how busy things are nowadays. I am working full-time in addition to critical distance. So if you want that to not be the case, you should totally pledge to our Patreon. Any little bit helps. You, The more you pledge, the greater the features like this one will be able to produce. And I'm letting that go because I always forget to do these at the end of the podcast. Good Lord, can... what do I pay you I, for? I don't know, actually. Anyway, all the games that we discussed, and possibly ones that we only slightly mentioned, will be seen down in the show notes. Click them, play them, and enjoy. Hopefully write about them, please, otherwise this has no purpose. Anyway, it's been a blast. 
upstairs. Thank God.